Let's turn now to read the Word of God in the New Testament. I'm going to read in two sections. First of all, in Paul's second letter to Corinthians, and chapter 6, and at verse number 11. Second Corinthians 6, at verse 11. Let us hear the Word of God. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you should be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted, corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. Then turning to First Peter and chapter number 4, at the beginning of the chapter, First Peter 4 and at verse number 1. First Peter 4 at verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that were judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Amen. This is the word of God, and we trust our blessed to us these readings from it. We're now going to sing to God's praise from Psalm 69 in the Scottish Psalter on page 306, and we sing it in the middle of verse 6. Psalm 69 and verse number 6. O Lord, the God of Israel, let none who search to make and seek thee be at any time confounded for my sake. From verse 6 to the verse mark 13, to God's praise. O Lord. 
together now to 1 Peter and chapter 4, and we can read at the beginning of the chapter. 1 Peter 4 and at verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so on down to verse 6, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that were judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. As we continue to reflect on the life and the journey of those to whom Peter is writing, it becomes clear that if they are exiles in the world, away from the kingdom of heaven and the place to which they belong, then being an exile means that there are different kinds of struggles. And in the section of the letter from the middle of of chapter 3, it is clear that one of their struggles is how they cope with uh, suffering for their faith in the world. That is, there are challenges in the world to living out their faith. And Peter repeatedly uses the, the whole the concept of reminding them of the heavenly perspective, not only of their salvation, but of their journey uh, through this life, to encourage them and to uplift them. And indeed also uh, to remind them of their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look at suffering as we have it here in these verses, we recognize that, that it seems that Peter understands the people to whom he is writing and what he is writing shows that he understands the struggles that we all so often face when we go through life in this world. And all of us to one degree or another will know what it is to to struggle to live the life of faith in a way that is devoted to Christ, in a way that shows our complete obedience to him and in a way that does not conform or cave in to the world that is around us. 
and we know that so often it is easier to be silent about our faith than it is to speak our faith and to do what the Lord Jesus wants us to do. Peter understands these struggles. They are struggles that we all have, and he wants them to to recognize from these verses today, to recognize that if Jesus was on a journey which ended with rewards because he remained faithful to God, then they can follow in his footsteps and have the same kind of journey with the same kind of rewards. And looking at these verses today in that context and in the context of the wider letter we want to think of Christian lifestyle and contemporary culture. What it is like to live as the people of God in the kind of world in which we live ourselves. Let's notice first of all that we have a resolve and the resolve is anchored in the person of Jesus Christ. The chapter begins with, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, all that he has said to them, all that he is going to say to them, is anchored in their relationship with the Lord Jesus. In the previous chapter, we see the way in which Christ suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He has suffered in their place. We see at the end of chapter 1 that they have been ransomed from the futile ways inherited from their forefathers by the precious blood of Jesus. So he wants them to remember their freedom in Christ. He wants them to remember that Jesus died in their place. And he also wants them to remember that Jesus suffered because of his devotion to God since Christ suffered in the flesh. And today, unless we have always before our minds our relationship with the Lord Jesus and the way in which we are united to him and what that means because of what he has done for us, then we are going to struggle in our faith because we are going to be looking for our strength in ourselves. We are going to be looking for our sense of well-being in ourselves and we're simply not going to find that in anything to do with ourselves. We are only going to find that as we focus our minds, as we have our hearts fixed on the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Saviour. And because that is true, having fixed their minds upon him, they are to arm themselves with the same way of thinking. Peter recognises, in the same way as Paul does in Ephesians 6, he recognises that the Christian in the world is in the middle of conflict. And the conflict is the kind of conflict that is wrestling with powers where they are like soldiers fighting in a war. And just like Paul says in Ephesians 6, we have to put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand and to be able to live as the children of God in the world. But here, Peter wants the believers to whom he is writing to arm themselves 
not with the armor that Paul refers to, but to Adam themselves with the same way of thinking. And that is a huge challenge. Paul does the same thing in Philippians 2, where he wants people to to be united and to, to think about others more than themselves. And he says to the church in Philippi, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. It's adopting the same kind of attitude as Jesus himself had towards his suffering. It's having that that inner sense of our minds directed to a a certain object. And once our minds are are, are set to that object, creating a, a sensation within us that stirs up life, that stirs up energy, that stirs up the right kind of desires. And the result of that is to have the kind of mental activity which enables us to see what's in front of us in the light of that very process through which we have gone. And he wants them to do that with regard to the Christ who has suffered in the flesh, to arm themselves with the same way of thinking. And that same way of thinking is the kind of thinking where where. Christ who suffered in the flesh is thinking of God, is thinking of the service of God, of doing the will of God, and is thinking as the servant of God, being obedient even to the death on the cross. It's a way of thinking that always sees the duty to give obedience and to do the will of God above everything else. And if they are going to have that kind of attitude themselves and that kind of of response to the suffering that will come because they are believers, then they will be on the same journey as Jesus himself. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered. He persevered in obedience He went along no matter what obedience meant, and in doing so, he was learning exactly what obedience was. He was the disciple of the Father, learning more and more of the will of the Father and what that meant for him. And so, for them and for ourselves today, that attitude of mind is simply to be disciplined as the children of God. Paul speaks of the way in which he disciplined his body and he kept it under control. And without that discipline, he wasn't able to run the race. And today, if it is God's call for us to be disciplined, It points the finger at the very area in our lives where as a people of God we fail because we are just not disciplined. I think of going through my my daily exercise or a weekly exercise, whatever it might be. 
and full of good intentions and building up to it. And then so often when the moment comes, if it's not a struggle to do it, it will be finding an excuse for not. The discipline simply is not there. And so often that is the case with you and with me in our faith. Full of good intentions. We'll do it tomorrow. We're going to be better tomorrow. But when tomorrow comes, we're the same old sluggish believers that were the day before. And when we face challenges to our faith, we crumble, we go silent, and we take the easy route, which usually means the path of disobedience. And so today let's hear the call of God to have this resolve and to have our minds fixed upon Jesus and inspired by him. And for then, that will lead to a life of devotion. Resolve to be obedient leads to a life of devotion. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And of course, the reference is not to Christ to suffer in the flesh, because he had no sin to cease from. But if we as the children of God, if we're going to suffer because of our faith, that very suffering itself is an indication that we have turned our backs upon sin. And that's at the very essence of the life of the child of God. And Paul refers to that quite clearly in Romans chapter 6, the, the way in which he reminds them not to let sin reign in their mortal bodies. He reminds them that they are not to present their members, their bodies, as instruments for sin. Because sin no longer has dominion over them. They have been united to Christ. The power of sin has been broken. And it's a life of service to God. Suffered in the flesh, ceased from sin. And it shows to us, we can picture the very scene, that here is the believer who has mind fixed upon Christ. And because of that, it is evident in their lives that their relationship with sin has been broken. And their discipline every day is to ensure that that relationship with sin is never restored. That they take every effort daily, as, as Paul says in Romans 8, to put to death the deeds of the body keeping the mind fixed upon Christ. Having that inner sensation of of the greatness of his love and the greatness of his goodness and being moved by that to follow the path that he followed, to have the resolve. And so today, let's understand the need to have that resolve if we are going to live the life of faith in our society and in our culture 
today. Secondly, and flowing naturally from that, if there is resolve, there is righteousness. And righteousness, by that I mean the the kind of life that's lived in accordance with the word of God. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Peter recognizes that the struggle doesn't begin out there, that the struggle begins in their hearts. He recognizes that they are going to struggle with their human passions, with the things that stir up sinful desires in their hearts, and longings after the things that, that God forbids, longing after the things that if God doesn't forbid, we know they're not for our good and, and for, their, for our benefit. Struggling with all of these sinful longings, these passions in our hearts. Not to live for them, but for the will of God. And Jesus, in every step that he took, he reminded those around him that he came not to do his own will, but the will of the Father who had sent him. And his will was one of the servant to the master, doing the will what was, was one of giving obedience to God's covenant. Doing the will of the Father was serving in such a way as to, as to save the people of God. It was the covenant of grace and the will of God, Jesus fulfilling all of that. And Peter now wants them to have the same kind of life the rest of the time. It's a new start. The time past is enough for doing what the Gentiles do. You've done enough of that for the rest of the time in your physical bodies while you live here to live for the will of God. And here they are in exile amongst the Gentiles doing the will of the Gentiles. What do they want to do? They're involved in sensuality. They're involved in passions and drunkenness, in orgies and drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. We could simply sum these up by in two categories. There is the sensuality and the passions, and then there's the drunkenness, the orgies, the drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. What takes place at the pagan temp- uh, temples? And so we have a culture that's overtaken with the pagan worship at the temple where all of these parties take place, all of these orgies, all of these drunkenness, and the sensuality and the passions of, that are found in society find their natural place to, to thrive and to find expression in the lawless idolatry. And of course... In our society, we're not confronted with these things. But in our society, we are confronted with sensuality and passions. We are 
confronted with the, the whole power of, of, of sex, the way it drives the society in which we live. We are confronted with the way in which there is distortion of every relationship in life that, that moves away from the will of God. We are driven by, by the transgender movement and all that's associated with it. All of the things that work around us. They aren't pagan idolatries. But they arise out of a heart that has no place for God. That is alienated from God. That refuses to acknowledge the existence of God. And that is determined to destroy any mention of the very name of God or of the very will of God in our society. And God wants us today as he wanted them in the days of Peter. He wants us to live the rest of our time in the flesh no longer for human passions. And there is the kind of struggle that C.S. Lewis describes in his own struggle with sin that every time that he committed sin against God. It was a moment when the spirit that God had put in his heart to blossom and to bear fruit was a time when that fruit was thwarted and when, when instead of that fruit there was a poison growing in his heart and in his soul. And that's the very struggle that we have in our hearts. It's a struggle that we have in, in the culture and society in which we live that there are these temptations that lead us away from God. And if we think today that we are not influenced by our culture or society, then we we have fallen into a trap that Satan himself has set for us because if we believe that, then our guard is down, our discipline is gone. It's recognizing the, the importance of of righteousness in the face of a culture and a society that is driven by unrighteousness and that is driven by the very spirit of of enmity against God. And once we do that, and once they were going to do that, there was an expectation. What was the expectation? In verse number four, with this respect, with respect to this, They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They are surprised. They expect everyone to be the same. Don't you feel the same kind of pressure? The expectation that we conform to the way in which society is going. And the surprise here is that they do not join and because they do not join they malign them they cause them to suffer they blaspheme the name of God by blaspheming Christians and finding fault with them in every way and and the picture that Peter has for us is that they are angry because the Christians are disrupting the peace of the pagan culture in which they were found and every way in which that pagan culture influenced families, influenced economy, 
influenced everyday lifestyle. They are angry because the Christian gospel and Christians are turning that upside down by speaking the truth of the gospel. And because of that anger, they turn to cause the Christians to suffer. And it's the kind of reaction that we we see in our own day and in our own society. The anger of a secular society against the witness of the Christian gospel. And that anger expressed not only in in maligning and, and in causing suffering in different ways, but in wanting to silence the very thing that God has put in place to disrupt the flow of of the the flood of of ungodliness, to silence that if they could. But the call is to suffer for doing good. And as they were called upon to suffer for doing good, so today God calls us to righteousness. Let's not fear the anger of a society that doesn't want to know God. Let's not be silenced by the expression of that anger which seeks to silence the very word of God itself. But let's be what God commands us to be. Let's not go with a status quo. Let's be the people of God who stand as a holy people in an unholy nation and society and to become the the light of the world and the very salt of the earth the righteousness and finally there is a reminder what do they need to be reminded of they need to be reminded of the perspective of God and the two elements in that reminder The first of these is that the very people who cause their suffering, that they are going to be judged. And verse number five, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They don't realize it themselves, but they will give an account. They will Stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He is standing as if it were waiting for this moment. Waiting for the moment which will be a final wake-up call to those who are the ungodly. When they will be summoned into his presence. And when in the, in the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, when Everyone will be called to give an account of what they have done in the body, whether it is good or bad. They will stand and they will be judged by the judge of all the earth. And he will surely do right. And in that judgment, in every sense of the way in which they will be judged by God, receive for their sins be cast into a lost eternity, be sent out from the presence of God forever, they will be condemned 
because of what they have done. And God will align at last in that final judgment. He'll align everything with his great purpose and plans. And as much as the wicked prosper and were prospering, the day will come when the light of the glory of Christ will shine upon them and their hearts will be exposed and they will give an account to the judge before whom they will stand. But there is also the promise. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The gospel is preached. In other words, Christ Jesus is preached in the gospel. And the gospel is preached to those who are dead. It seems like a strange thing to say. But in the context in which Paul uh, Peter is writing, his reference to the dead are those who lived and heard the gospel and those who suffered for the gospel and who died. The gospel was preached to the dead. And Paul, at different times, refers to the dead being raised. The dead in Christ will rise first. The dead will be raised imperishable. Those who died in faith, the gospel was preached to them. And for their encouragement and for their information, they are to recognize that the very people who died in faith and in faithfulness to their Savior, who died in the midst of being of suffering in the flesh, suffering for their faith, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. That they are alive. That the Word of God, which speaks in Hebrews 12 of, of being in the presence of the spirits of the just being made perfect, they're alive. And Paul speaks in, in 1 Corinthians 15 of, of there being a, a natural body and a spiritual body. The natural is first, but the spiritual is second. And that spiritual body is, is the body that's going to be raised imperishable and incorruptible and in power and is going to inherit the final kingdom of God. And so the, the reminder is, that the very people who have died for, in their faith and in their faithfulness are those who live in the spirit the way that God is or according to God, according to what God has said, but also according to where God himself lives, in the dwelling place of God, that there are found the people of God, those who have journeyed on and, and gone before us. The spirits of just men made perfect. And 
There is inspiration today in having your hearts excited by, by focusing on the fact that Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Our discipline, our resolve comes from being moved and energized by that. But it is no small part of our encouragement that we also look at those who have gone before us and rightly on the basis of what the Word of God says that they are the ones who came out of great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb and they are before God's throne. And that's a particular inspiration for us. And there are these two channels of, of encouragement and two channels of inspiration to help us today to go forward with Peter's readers and to live life in our world reminded of who we are, reminded of where we have come from and where we are going and reminded that the rest of our time should be lived in the will of God and that enough of our lives have been spent in doing what the nations do or what the Gentiles wanted to do here. May God help us to do so and may he bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious and eternal God, we look to you as our great God and our Saviour who begins a work in the hearts of your people who will bring it on until the day of Jesus Christ. And as surely as you have given your people to believe in your name, you have also promised that they will suffer for your name's sake. So help us, Lord, to reflect on all of these things. Help us to reflect on our own lives and on our own faith and on our own relationship with you and give to us that newness so that we would say in our hearts today that for the rest of our days we will live devoted to you and that enough of our lives has been spent in the service of sin and in doing what the world does. Help us, we pray, and hear us, and to mercy. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. The closing psalm is Psalm number 143, and the second version of the psalm, and that verse number Seven. We're going to sing from verse 7 to the verse mark 10 on page 440. Lord, let my prayer prevail to answer it to make speed. For lo, my spirit doth fail, hide not thy face in need. From verse 7 to the verse mark 10 to God's praise.
We'll stand for that benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.